Welcome to the Interns Hope Church Run the Podcast. I'm Jesse Brumfield. And I'm Isaac Little. We are two Americans living on mission in Wales. And we're uh, both inviting you guys to uh, walk with us as we talk about what it is and what it looks like to be life on mission in another country. So before we jump into this week's episode, I wanted to pop in and share some trigger warnings for uh, this episode with Ben Landers. It's amazing. He shares a lot of his story, but there is mention of drug abuse and, and suicide attempts. So I just want to share that with you. If those are triggers for you, please um, maybe skip this episode. All right, let's jump in. Hello, welcome. I'm Isaac, and we have a special guest. Oh, Jesse. Jesse is also Jesse here. Jesse is also here. <laughs> Hello. We have a special guest today, Ben Landers, and he's joining us from... Where are you, where are you from, <laughs> Ben? Tell us about yourself, Ben. Tell us about yourself, so, Ben. I'm originally from uh, Merthyr, but I've joined you guys via Loughborough, which is in the East Midlands. Via what now? Loughborough. Okay. A little town. Is that in Wales? No, it's in England. In England, okay. Um, okay, so we do have a guest with us. We do, Sorry Ben Landers. <laughs> Welcome. The, yes, our newest intern. I get yeah, because uh, John is technically like a resident. Yeah. So technically, I guess he's like better than us or something. I don't know. He's just not an intern. Yeah. So Ben Landers, newest intern. So you originally are from Merthyr. So tell the audience. Because lots of our audience is in America, where that is in relation to where we are here. Um, so we're talking probably about 30 minutes okay. over the mountain. Okay. So the bulk, which Isaac was talking about, it's okay. the other side of it. Okay. Okay. And then you were most recently living in England. Yes. So how did that, how did you end up in England? So I went to a Christian rehab facility. Okay. So it's about 11 months there. Um, issues with drug and alcohol abuse growing up. So, roughly two years ago, I left the valleys and went up, mm-hmm. and then just stayed there afterwards. Went went back to college, okay. got rooted into a church, mm. and nice. And now I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about um, your life. So, like. Merthyr is just—it's in another valley, right? Yeah. So it would be—is it like similar vibe to this? Pretty much so. Yeah, you know, you get that community feel, and everybody sort of knows each other, and yeah, yeah it's pretty cool. Pretty cool growing up there. Yeah. So tell us, like, as much as you want to, or as little as you want to, about your story, about how you came to faith. Um, yeah. So ready, I, go. Yeah. So maybe I'll just <laughs> take you guys back to the sort of beginning, and you know. Yeah. Idea what I perceived to be a really happy childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't have any sort of comparisons. Didn't really know what life should have looked like. You know, you're young, you're growing up. So it, it wouldn't be uncommon to go a few nights of the week without gas and electric in the house or, or just mm. eating beans and toast every night of the week. And, you know, we, us as kids thought that that was, was the normal. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't know anything different. It was around sort of six years old that through like unforeseen circumstances, my mum sort of had to give us over to social services so me and my two sisters went into the care system and and it was at this point then that I had that comparison mm-hmm. you know that meals were different every night of the week mm-hmm. there, there was gas electric every every day and it's just like oh well 
I thought that was what life was like, but this is, and it's just sent me on that sort of downward spiral and I get resentful, really angry, bitter towards people and some sort of temper and anger sort of came mm -hmm. out and I was, I think by the age of like nine, I'd lived with over 15 different people. Wow. Um, almost to the point where <clears throat> nobody within the sort of Merford Borough would want to look after me. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they just, it was too unruly. They, whether it would be they couldn't handle that or whether they had children that were living with them that had been there for a while and they didn't want to un unsettle them. And, and at this stage, I got moved out of the area, moved to the other side of the valleys. Mm -hmm. so I think it was about 40, 50 minute drive away. And, and I don't know, something just sort of changed. I got really settled there and I was there for about two years and the family I was living with, they were, they were great. Yeah. Know, they, were, they were amazing. And, really sort of understanding and really helped me deal with some of the issues I had. And and then I think I was around 11 years old and they, they sort of had a change of heart and they wanted to look after children that had, had disabilities and, and learning difficulties and stuff. And mm -hmm. unfortunately I didn't, didn't fit into that category. And so it was like having to move on again and it, all those feelings of abandonment, attachment mm -hmm. issues and stuff just all came flooding back. And, social services deemed that it'd be better for me to try and integrate back with my, my birth mum. Mm -hmm. And so over the pace, space of six months, he was sort of spending increasingly more time with my mum and, and sort of no fault of her own, but I sort of had so much time away from that local area that when I went back, I didn't really have a, a friendship group. So yeah. I just gravitated to the, the first group of people that would um, accept me. Mm -hmm. and. And then they were the wrong sort of people. And that's when, when drugs started creeping and, and alcohol abuse. I think I was taking drugs and drinking at the age of 12 and yeah. just became really unruly. And, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, no, nobody really cares for me. Nobody can, nobody wants me in their lives. So why should I really care? Yeah. But you don't care what I'm doing. So this, let's go out and abuse whatever I can, do whatever I want. Yeah. And just had that mentality of, I'm not going to do what I need to do because the people in my life have never done what they needed to do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's how I ended up in that sort of circles and stuff. Yeah. So like, um, how long did that last? Like getting into drugs and alcohol and so like started taking like like I just said, started taking drugs at the age of twelve and that progressed from sort of smoking a bit of cannabis and taking some Valiums and stuff to to harder party drugs and then legal highs and, you know, getting hooked on um, a drug called Meow, which is sort of, at the time, it was a, a legal party drug, so you could buy it over the counter and okay. and stuff and and just progress. So that this went on for about eight years, so yeah. until I was about 20. And, and you can sort of see each stage of my life, it just got progressively worse. Yeah. You know, I remember like 16 years old being in, doing a mechanics qualification at college and, every sort of half hour, 20 minutes, going into the toilet to, to take some more drugs, mm. like, cause I couldn't function without it. Yeah. Throughout sort of the first part of my adult life, I couldn't do anything without being on some sort of substance. Yeah. Whether that is drink, drugs, it's the only way I can function. Yeah. <laughs> quite yeah. incredible. Yeah. So what, what was the catalyst to bring you out of that? So, I think it, it, it sort of happened over the space of about two or three years. So 
Uh, when I turned 17, I had a, an internship in a, in a factory in Bristol and I was sort of doing really well, you know, sort of curbed the drugs slightly, but I was still drinking most nights, mm -hmm. going home, having, going back to the hotel that we were staying in and, and drinking with food and uh, it just progressively got worse. I can remember coming home one weekend, just being paid and just went out and took a load of, load of Valium and, and robbed from my nan and that, that, at the time then nobody want, none of my family wanted anything to do with me. So I ended up moving back out of the area and like not having contact with them for years. And at this time I'd met a girl and it, the, the relationship was really, really toxic. Yeah. Um, you know, I was just horrible. And they're never physically abusive, but that mental, verbal yeah. abuse and, and really sort of dragged her down with me. And, and after about a year and a half that ended and <clears throat> I tried to take my own life. Um, I remember taking it, playing a game, it's sick, sick, twisted game. Uh, like which, which pill or which, which drug is going to take is going to stop my heart beating mm -hmm. and sort of got really sort of disheartened and really disappointed when that didn't happen mm -hmm. and that's that's where my mental state was you know I got really bitter and angry towards myself then and hating myself even more it's just like you can't even succeed at taking your own life like not even sort of death once you like everybody's given up on you and it was quite a yeah. a surreal and sad place to be but as a result of that like a week later I still wasn't feeling quite right um, so uh, the doctor's appointment anyway, and the doctor was like, you need to go to the hospital and, and just get, get checked and whatever. And yeah. I remember they, they run it through tests and they were like, are you sure that you haven't, because I hadn't taken anything for a week. And they were like, are you sure you haven't taken anything? They're like, there's enough in your system now to, that should really kill you. Wow. Like, and if you're saying you've taken this a week, then there's, there is no sort of way that you should have survived that. Yeah. Uh, which, which is astonishing, really. And only now you can see that that's God's hand in my life. Yeah. Um, and then, and this is where the sort of that change of mentality started. And it was a process, I remember leaving the hospital. And, and it's, at this time, I was so down depressed that I just tried everything, nothing worked. And I was around a group of mates that were taking heroin at the time. Mm -hmm. And whenever they were taking it, it was almost as if a weight had been lifted off their shoulders. and. They seemed calm, relaxed, and I said, oh, I'm going to try that. And I was just about to like take my first ever bit of heroin, mm -hmm. smoke it on some foil, and, and I had a phone call. And normally I wouldn't answer the phone to, to my family, but there was someone urging me to. And, and it was at this stage that I found out that my nan was in, in hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, she was in uh, an induced coma, and she pretty much had, I think it was like 72 hours to live. And as much as death is... It's hard to deal with. Mm -hmm. I kind of see that now as a blessing. Yeah. Because my focus shifted from myself for that sort of five minutes and over to my family and how I could get back home. And, and, and as a result of that, I was, I was in Murphy, being there for like, was living there then again for two years after everything that went on my nan. And, and as a result of that, I met some guys that Matt and Mel, who the church know really well, that have that sort of helped me. Um, mm -hmm. I can remember walking into their church. I was a 20-year-old, like six and a half stone, stinking. Tell our, tell our American friends, like, about how many pounds that is. About 14. Know? No, it has to be more than that. Six stone, six and a half stone, I don't know. Oh, it's four, a stone is... Is it 14, 14 pounds? pounds? So yeah. it's six times 14. 70. 84. 
You were like 90 pounds. Yeah. No, I'm not. Yeah, possibly. Because yeah. it had been like, what, uh, 40 kilograms? I don't know. I 45 got, kilograms? So I'm about, so I'm, I'm fit and healthy now, and I'm about 68 kilos now. Okay. And that's about 10 and a bit stone. 10 and a bit stone. So I was six and a half stone then, so yeah. you can imagine that's yeah. like tiny yeah like how how i was still alive it's, it's astonishing yeah and that's sort of where i met matt and mel from challenge valleys and I, so how did you meet them so i so because I, I was in and out the case system i was part of an agency called bernardo's so they look after children that come out of the case system so okay. they sort of um, an extra support network so you sort of have them until you're like 21 and i was sat in their office so Again, like before that, I'd went sort of AWOL for about two weeks, didn't answer my phone, wasn't answering my door to my flat. And for about a week, Bernardo's would turn up every single day, knock my door. I wouldn't answer. He'd put a little note for the door and a bar mm -hmm. of chocolate every single day. And I can remember just, yeah, just being really depressed. I'm just like, actually, there is people that care for me mm -hmm. and there is people that think. So I went down and saw them after about two weeks. And, um, just so happened to meet another guy that was a part of the church and he was like, oh, I really recommend you going down to speak to Matt. Mm -hmm. And so we, we've gone down and I didn't know really what to expect. So I walked in through the door and, and within 24 hours, I was in a rehab. Like, wow. It just happened so quick. Um, yeah, like proper just down out, stinking mess that needed, that needed a, a way out. And yeah. that was it at the time. Yeah. So Matt and Mel helped you get into this rehab? Yeah, so at the time I'd only met Matt, so I don't know what Mel was doing, I think she was at work. So they run a, they, they were running a drop-in at the local church, where guys could come sit, just a, a, a safe space for them to chat and, and deal with any issues if they wanted to deal with them, mm -hmm. and if they wanted a way out and, and stuff, and as a result of that being open, I was able to... Um, it's always the most awkward part yeah. when Isaac decides that he's going to take photos. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, definitely. <laughs> but, but as a result of that being open, I was able to meet Matt and, mm -hmm. and form a relationship. But it, it really wasn't a relationship. It was just sort of, you need help. I, can, I know a place. And um, a few phone calls later, uh, I'm, I'm on my way to rehab the next day. And it is a really cool story about that. So with, with rehabs these days, you've got to sort of You've got to get like doctors to to say that you're okay to go and stuff. But like, I've gone over to see my doctor, and he was like, "Oh, I don't know about this." And I'm like, "Well, I'm not leaving you until until you phone these people and say that like I'm okay to come." Mm -hmm. And like we were having this argument for like 20 minutes, half hour. And I'm like, you, "It takes you 30 seconds to dial that number in the phone to say I can mm -hmm. go, and I'm out of here. If not, then I'm staying here until I'm feel yeah. forcefully removed." And and thankfully he did. And then it was the same with Bernardo's. They were like, oh, it's, it's a bit skeptical. Like, you're sending him away somewhere. Like, <clears throat> we don't know what this is all about and stuff. And, and I needed someone to take me. So I was like, I'm locking myself in your office until, until you take me. <laughs> I, I'm not, I am not leaving this room until... So you were at a point, that tells me that you were at a point where you wanted the help. Uh, at that stage, I was running away from a debt. Okay. So it was sort of... I had no, I was happy and content in my little bubble. You know, I could get what I wanted when I needed to. There mm -hmm. was no real pressure from anybody to, to change. 
I didn't see anything wrong with that lifestyle because that's the majority of my adult life. That's all I knew. Yeah. So there was no real. On the outset, there, there was not that much of a real desperation to get the help. It was more that if I don't leave this area soon, I'm pretty much going to die because of money yeah. I owe. <laughs> which, which it's, it's, you can look back at it now and it's just like, God used something that I wanted to get away from yeah. to save my life. Yeah. Well, isn't it so cool? Like, so you didn't even have to have the the like quote right intentions to go to rehab. Like you were running away from something. You were afraid of people that you owed money to catching up with you. So you went to this rehab and decided that you were going to be adamant about getting help. But like God can still use that. Hundred percent. Like when you look back at it now, the debt was something like fifty quid. So in the grand scheme of things, <laughs> it, it wasn't even that much. But I was so. So paranoid and so fixated that yeah. this was everything to like that I needed to get away. Whether that was like God was just implanting something in, in, in me to go like making it look worse than what it was in order to get me in a yeah. in a situation where I was isolated and put into a back into a corner to come to Him or not was quite remarkable. Yeah, it it's is. Amazing. It is. That's so cool. So. I guess the doctor obviously ended up signing off and yeah, ended up yeah. in rehab. <laughs> so, like, if you're comfortable with it, talk to us about, like, when you first got there. And Oh, it was, it was crazy. It, it was surreal. Um, so I'm coming off Spice at the time, which is for our American friends, it's more of a synthetic cannabis. Okay. Um, and the severity of it over a year is I'm, there's heroin addicts that have been addicted to heroin for 30 or 40 years that have switched to spice. Okay. Because it, yeah, it's just that bad. So I was coming off that and I can remember walking in and, and the first thing they had me doing was peeling potatoes, cutting up potatoes to cook. And I'm like, can I make a cup of tea? They're like, no, we'll have to make it for you. And I'm like, so I can stab you with a knife, but not boil myself a cup of tea. Yeah. Because of their, their, their rules are probably you can yeah. burn someone or something. I was like, all oh, right. So that was a bit strange and surreal. And those first sort of 72 hours where you could sense that there was something different mm-hmm. about the people in this place. But you, you, you close off from that because it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, what, what's, like, what's going on? It's all alien and stuff. And I think it was after about two weeks, we were at a church service. And it was kind of weird because we came in and this, the pastor got up and he was like, we're not really having a service tonight. We're just going to play a video. You guys can do whatever you like, mm-hmm. as long as you're not congregating in big groups and just having a chat. You can go to sleep, you can do whatever mm-hmm. you wanted. So I said, oh, right, get some sleep. So I laid down, started sleep, well, trying to get to sleep, and we were watching a, um, a just like a 10 minute clip by Judas Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, there's like a 10 minute clip on uh, Barabbas mm-hmm. and how actually for, for God to treat Barabbas like Jesus. He needed to treat Jesus like Barabbas. And everything that he was saying was just speaking to me. Uh, how Barabbas was a murderer and and how he was just rotten and rotten to the core and how he didn't deserve any of this, but mm-hmm. he got set free. And I was laying on my on my stomach and I just felt as if I was in this like whirlwind in this tunnel and I was just spinning and spinning and and it's just so uncontrollably and it just, I just see different events from my life passing. And, and then, <clears throat> next you know, this door just opened and it was just flashing light and a, and a hand came down and it was like, 
just reach out, I've got you. Wow. And like, it was at this point, I was just like, there was something different. Didn't, again, didn't really know what that was. Yeah. But there was definitely something in that moment. And I gave my life to Christ. And in that moment? In that moment. Yeah. And then like, a few days later, sort of speaking to the leaders and stuff and, and sort of done it properly as, as it was perceived. But yeah. was like, at that point, I knew that there was something different and accepted Jesus as, as my saviour. Yeah. And how long ago was that? Like two years so ago? So that was back when I was, tw just before my 21st birthday, so about three years ago. Okay. Um, yeah, so quite a, quite a long while ago. Now. And you spent a total of 11 months in Rehab? Yeah, so I spent 11 months at Patel. Mm -hmm. um, and then I moved back to Merford. Um, and, you know, a lot of people thought I was on fire for God. And, you know, because I seemingly was, but what, what I hadn't fully mastered was letting Jesus be the Lord, of, Lord yeah. and Saviour of my life. Yeah. So he was my Saviour and it was undeniable that he was real, and, but I still wanted to do life my way. Mm -hmm. So I was really good at being a nine to five Christian, mm -hmm. uh, helping out at the church during the day, doing bits and pieces and going to church every Sunday and taking my Bible with me and flashing it to people and yeah. but there, there was no substance to it there was yeah. no there, there was no tangible emotion behind that and it just became a sort of way out sometimes mm -hmm. and quickly I was reverting back to old behavioral patterns and being deceitful lying to people manipulating trying to get my own way for things mm -hmm. and yeah, just sort of went back into that, the bend that, that before the 11 months of Patel and even though I actively wasn't in addiction, I was still dabbling, doing a bit here and there yeah. and stuff and, and at this time I'd got accepted onto a leadership academy program at Teen Challenge. Mm -hmm. So that, that again, that's like another academic year and you, you look at, you go out, you do outreach and just get a better understanding of the Bible and stuff. And I got accepted, got given a place, got given a room and a bed. And I can remember it, it just like, it just didn't sit right with me. Yeah. You know, I was, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel as if I should be doing that, as if I was cheating somebody out of a place. Mm. Because I still had issues. Yeah. I still had problems. There, there, was, there was things in my life that needed to be brought out into to the light. And I didn't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. Or what's the point I was afraid of doing that because growing up people had left my life so easily and so quickly mm -hmm. that it was just like I've got people around me now. If they see that I've got issues, I've got problems, they're gonna they're not gonna wanna be around, they're not gonna want me in their lives and and I think that like, the enemy just got hold of that fear yeah. and was just feeding it each and every day and and it got to the point where I can remember just like, you know what? It, it wasn't good for me. Mm -hmm. it, it, mentally, it was just destroying. I remember making the decision. I was like, you know what? Actually, I'm going back. I'm, I'm going to a rehab. Mm. I need to go back. I need to sort my life out. I need to sort my head out pretty much. I need to get mm -hmm. this relationship right or I'm just going to be on this spiral for however long it takes for me to either grow out of it or I'm going to die yeah. living this life. And that's, no, that's not what I wanted. And... The day that I made the decision to 
give up my place at the Leadership Academy and go into Team Challenge and do the program. Mm. So again, that was another 11 month residential program. Yeah. There was such a weight that lifted off my shoulders. A 10 minute walk took me like three hours, two or three hours. Just felt God had just wrapped me up in cotton wool. And was just like, you're my son, I'm gonna take care of you, it's all right. Yeah. And just really comforted me. And I knew, I, it was at that moment where I really, really believed that like, my spiritual eyes were open. Mm-hmm. You know, you could see the way the, the moon glistened differently. Uh, there, there was millions of stars in the sky that I hadn't noticed before. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there was a beauty surrounding that that was just amazing. From just that one decision that mm-hmm. I'm gonna give up everything to go and do something that other people thought I was crazy for doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you did another 11 months yeah. in rehab, and then what? So after doing the 11 months of rehab, it was a real battle towards the end um, of where, what I was going to do, where I was going to go, and in the end I ended up settling in Loughborough. I moved out and moved in with a, a married couple that were opened up their house to let guys coming out of rehabs come stay with them for the year, for a year mm-hmm. and just really do life and get around them and do that. So I moved in with them, went back to college, just completed my level two motor vehicle qualification mm-hmm. and stuff and ended up, yeah, just getting a job and just doing life, doing mm-hmm. what we, we, we called to do. Yeah. Really. So what is it like now, like after, because how long were you in, and you might not have been in full-on addiction all of those years, but you were using from 12 so, to age? So yeah, from 12, and like the times in between, so probably till I was about 21 on and off. Okay. So, so it, it was a solid sort of eight years from the age of 12 yeah. till I was 20. Yeah. And then like there was a gap where I was at Patel, yeah. and then it was like the odd few times before I went into Team Challenge that I'd used Yeah. as well. So I think like what I what I pull from your story and like what I think is important for people to take away is that you had a supernatural experience with God, with Holy Spirit in in rehab like very quickly. And then you sp- you did almost a year which like by the way in America is pretty unheard of. Like rehab is just a different thing and people maybe spend 30 days you might get 60 days and um so like to spend a full 11 months in rehab and working on on addiction and i'm I'm sure other like behavior patterns as well and then you got out and you started using again and that doesn't mean that your salvation wasn't real that it wasn't like that we can like a lot of times our sanctification is this like years-long process right and like For those of us who work in ministry, I'm sure like y'all have faced this. It's really hard when you're working with someone or working to disciple someone and you see this like miraculous thing happen and you're like, yes, this is going to be it. This is going to be great. Their whole life is going to turn around. And then they slip back into old patterns of behavior, whatever that might be. Um, And it can be really discouraging. But what I take away from that is like, it is... It's just not our job. It's not our job to take that on and like God is going to do the work. And it, what I also see in your story is how God really like used different people in your life. Massively. And like looking back at it, I was seeing the story with the guys the other day. And so from sort of analyzing my life, there's, there is like key events in my life where there's been massive Christian influence. Yeah. I have no clue about 
So tell the story. Well, Are you going to tell the story? Yeah, about... great okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, um, I can really remember cool. once we were there, there was a there was a cafe in Bridgend that was used to be like a youth youth sort of club, uh-huh. and it's called um, Solid Rock. <clears throat> Didn't know that it was any Christian influence to it whatsoever, and um, they used to play this song, and it was uh, Chris Tomlin's um, "Our God's Greater," mm-hmm. but. <clears throat> It, it was a remixed version of it, so we had like really great like drops and, and okay. bass lines with it and stuff. And I'm like, we really used to enjoy it. So then we started playing this at parties that we were going to and stuff. And I was sharing this with Isaac the other day. I'm sat in parties taking drugs oh. while listening to Our God is Greater. <laughs> I'm not even. Didn't even know that it was a not, Christian song. <laughs> like, I'm not even having any clue that it's 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 a christian influence whatsoever and i can remember going into a church once and, and the first time hearing this song as a christian i'm like this is, this is exactly the same song like what is going on where am i what are you guys doing like it, it's remarkable and and it's little things like that and there's an elder at the the church in murphy that i was a part of that was my social worker growing up mm-hmm. he used to take family contact no clue whatsoever my my old support worker at Bernardo's was a Sunday school teacher. It, it, dad was a pastor. I had no clue mm-hmm. whatsoever that mm-hmm. there, there was these massive Christian influences in my life. And and again, the same as like Sunday. Find from speaking to Tom, who was preaching at uh, uh, services on Sunday, that his friends used to live on the same, exact same street that I used to live to in in Puff Call. Mm-hmm. I used to take drugs again, uh, just on the corner from the church that they planted in Puffcall. Wow. And it's just like, you, you can just see the, the Christian influence and that the Holy Spirit just chasing and following without mm-hmm. even knowing it, without even looking for yeah. it. It's there around us. It's amazing. Yeah. So this, like our, the focus of our podcast is being on mission, like whatever that looks like for individuals. And so... Um, the couple that you lived with when you got out of rehab the second time and they were opening their home to guys coming out of rehab like that because our episode last week was with Jenna who's obviously from the Rhonda has stayed in the Rhonda like feels very called to be on mission here in her hometown like that is another example I feel like of people that are they're not going anywhere. They're not moving to another country. They're not moving even to another city. They're just opening the home that they have and using what they have to help others. And like, look how that's impacted Massive. your life. And I'm sure yeah. many other guys. Massive, you know. Um, and again, like they won't mind me saying this, but it took them years to set that up. You know, it wasn't just, oh, well, I've got this idea and I'm gonna gonna roll this out and we're gonna have an influx of people. You know, there, there was so many failed sort of applications. People wasn't mm. suited or or at the last minute, the plug was pulled. And <clears throat> I think they started this, this vision about four years ago. Mm-hmm. And and I was their first person. Okay. I moved in a year ago. Yeah. And oh. like, yeah. I'm here now. I'm, I've success, success, successfully come out the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And, and those models are, are really, really good. So I don't get discouraged when... You, you believe that God's got something on his on your heart for you to do, but it doesn't come to fruition straight away. Yeah. You know, it took the guys in the Old Testament 40 years to get out of the wilderness. Yeah. <laughs> so, 40 years. Is it 40? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Um, so then wh- why are you here? Why did you decide to come to this church? Why an internship? To be honest, I don't really know. Yeah, why they're on the valley? Uh, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> I don't know yet. So again, that's come from a place of uh, the last few months have been really, really tough for me. I, I, I thought I still do, but I, was, I thought God was doing something in my life and He was going mm-hmm. in a direction, and then all of a sudden that got pulled and out from underneath me, and I was like, "Oh, right, okay, what's going on?" And I remember it was a Monday. I had like three weeks left four weeks left before I was due to move out of where I was living and I went to view a house that I could and a nice house it was a student house because I was meant to be going back to college to mm-hmm. level three this year and got got accepted on my place and everything and went to view this house and it just all felt right it felt good and I got told I could move in like the following day so I was like telling a few people and then towards the end of the day somebody phoned me and they were like we don't feel comfortable with this Mm. It doesn't seem right, and it's not right. And these people have got a massive influence in my life. They, they, they're the guys that help get me to rehab in the first place. Mm-hmm. That have sort of become my family. They are like mum and dad, and their kids mm-hmm. are like brother and sister to me. So, <clears throat> sort of took notice of what they were saying, and I'm like, you know what? I don't really need to understand why, but I'll take what you're saying. And, and for the letting agency, I was like, I don't think this is for me, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna look for something different and stuff. And then it was that night I was laying in bed. I was desperate. I can remember just in tears. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that door seemed to close on the house. Uh, the other doors were closing around me that I thought were like certain to open and, and they weren't. And God, what, what are we doing? Probably like floods of tears. And it, it wasn't like what we were doing. I was really angry towards God. It's like, you're meant to be for me, but all, these, all this is happening. You're letting me get hurt. You're letting me get angry over things and you're letting people hurt me. And, and it was just, just that real, real vulnerable dis- before the Lord. Pardon? I said you were real vulnerable yeah. before the Lord. And that's something I struggle with, you know, I, I, whenever I seem to get vulnerable with people, they, they leave my life, so, I, but that's, that's another story. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so, yeah, God. And I just had these three words, hope, intern, Simon. And I'd only met Simon once before, and he offered it to me last October, and it, I was like, oh, I'm not going back to the valleys. Don't want to go back to Wales. Never thought I'd see myself back in Wales. And I shut it down straight away that night. I was like, no, that's, that's the enemy trying to just feed me something just to take me off, mm-hmm. off where I'm meant to be. And I woke up the following morning and it was still there. It was like, so I, I, I spoke to Matt, uh, I spoke to Mel about it. And normally, whenever I've had sort of ideas of coming back to Wales before, she would have shut it down. Mm-hmm. But her, her reaction really sort of surprised me. It was like, hmm, that's interesting. And like, there, there was nothing more said of it, and we, we had a few conversations. I was like, oh, I'll give it two weeks, and if it's still there, then I'll, I'll contact Simon and, and stuff. And just as the week went on, there was just more excitement about it. And at the time, I couldn't get excited about anything. Mm-hmm. I had no enjoyment. I was just really, my mental health had suffered a bit. I was really mm-hmm. just suffering depression and stuff. And, but that was the only thing that really excited me. Whenever there was a lull in my mood, uh, it was almost as if, God was sparking that up again mm-hmm. and it was just like, ooh, got really excited. And I spoke to him on the Friday. And yeah, he was just like, oh, that's that's really interesting. Cause like in the, I think it was your staff meeting on that Monday, you were discussing whether you're gonna take an intern in September or January and stuff. So that that was sort of really cool. And then like, two weeks later I'm on a Zoom chat with Ben and Simon and and then like a week later I'm coming yeah. to come and see you guys for the first time, we were a house, and then a week later I'm moving in, and I sort of 
And now here you are. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, four days in and... Yeah. You know, it's... So what I'm hearing is like, the one thing that you're sure of is you, you've heard God speak and so you've obeyed him. Yeah, I'm not. And so like, even though you may, you may not want to be here, but you know that God has you here yeah. for a reason. You're just... And it's become really evident as well, you know. So up until now, I've been... My sleeping patterns have been sporadic. Like... I probably slept more in the last three days, four days, than I have in the last like three or four months. Mm. It, continual sleep, yeah. Um, just feel at home. You said eight hours a night. Yeah, pretty much. Before I was getting like probably eight hours a week. Mm. <laughs> I'm just probably. Wow. <laughs> I wouldn't have been functioning. <laughs> and and stuff. Yeah, it, it, it was crazy. And but that enjoyment's come back, and you know I've. Look at joining the local rugby team and, and the, the sort of welcome I've had from them has been incredible. Like, so welcoming. You just like, you know, when things line up, you, you sort of know that you're, you're, you're where you need to be. So what's one thing that you're looking forward to? Like, now that you're in the season of uh, being an intern in, in Hope, what's, what's something that you're looking forward for? Um, I think it's that being stretched but being around incredibly wise and, and godly people to help decipher that hmm. and not that I haven't had that throughout the last sort of year or so but with the role as an intern you're constantly around that sort of Christian influence that mm-hmm. that is just going to be so much more beneficial for me in seeing what God has got going forward mm-hmm. and seeing what God can do around the valleys. Yeah. What's, what's one thing that you'd ask God for if you could ask him for something right now? Oh, that's hard. <sighs> I think because of the season I've just come up, out from, it's a bit of a, a, a two-pronged answer to the question. Yeah, I'll take three. Is <laughs> <laughs> the pain and hurt that I've felt over the last four months worth it and did I hear you correctly when I heard you four months ago speaking into that situation mm. I think well that would be mm-hmm. that sort of answer and that situation you mean coming here no so oh, let's go into it it's fine so you don't have to no, no it's fine you really um, don't have to uh, so, yeah, I guess I didn't realize. About four, five months ago, I believe God brought a relationship into my path and, you know, going really well and got on like a house on fire and, mm. you know, similar interests and talk for hours and it not get mm-hmm. boring and, and stuff and really felt that my walls and those, those barriers that I built up over years just came flooding down in, in an instant, mm-hmm. made myself so vulnerable and, and, put myself in a position where has now left me sort of hurting and mm. like, oh, actually, was that a good idea to undertake? But that, the, like I said earlier, the, the rug got pulled underneath that very, very quickly, mm. I, which we, I don't understand why. I mm. don't know why. And probably, I don't know if I ever know why. Mm-hmm. But at the time, we both felt that God was in it. Uh, mm-hmm. that God had directed our paths together and, and stuff and all of a sudden contacts he like just didn't wasn't non-existent again and stuff so you know 
that's the answer to that question is to sort mm. of was that hurt that I've gone through worth it and is that going to come to, to fruition which I believe it is until God says differently mm-hmm. you've just got to get on with life get through that pain and and let God do what he needs to do in in you and around you yeah, yeah. it's tough mm-hmm. isn't it yeah heartbreak is not it's just not like it never it doesn't matter how many times you've been through it it never gets easier it's never like right i've done this before i can do it again it's fine it's like no (laughs) like the world just feels like it's crumbling around you oh definitely and i think what i'm learning from that is just because i've always gone into things really logical and going i've done this last time and this is what happened you know i've made myself vulnerable and i got hurt and well, I'm not going to do that now. Actually, God's going, no. Vulnerability is your greatest strength. So regardless of past experiences, that you can't stop being vulnerable. Mm. You can't stop showing yeah. where you're weak because that's where he becomes strong. Yeah. And it's, he showed me a picture <clears throat> of a lemon. I, think I, sh- I shared this with you guys mm. in the staff meeting the other day. And it was just sort of, the world says that when life gives you lemons to make lemonade, but he's not interested in that because you're not using the entirety of, of the hurt and anger and, and stuff that you've been through. He wants you to go out and, and make like a, a pie or, or something with that. You know, use the zest and, and, the, and the juice from the inside and, and, the, and then take the seed, which for me I took as the core hurt, the pain, so that being vulnerable with people and, mm-hmm. and letting your guards down and plant that in the ground. Let him water it, let him nurture it, and then and then let it bear fruit, and let lemon tree. Yeah, but but don't let and again taking from that was sort of not letting your past experiences, your past hurts, and that stop you from from being who you are in, in Christ, mm-hmm. and letting everything that you've been through be for a purpose, and letting that be of value. Well, and I like when you close yourself off to pain or like potential pain or potential hurt, you're also closing yourself off to a lot of potential joy or like excitement or love or whatever. Like, so you can't like close the the hurt off without doing the other. Like they just go hand in hand, don't they? They, they, And they've got to. Otherwise, we become a a robotic human being that yeah. has no feelings and emotions. Yeah. And I've, I've been emotionally numb for so many years Yeah. that I think that's what God is trying to teach me in all this. He's trying to heal my emotions, my feelings, and, yeah. and wanting me to express them in healthy ways. So whereas before, something like, like 10, 11 months ago, <clears throat> if I'd gone through that now, what I'm going through would have crippled me, would have, yeah. would have put me right back in a place of let's, let's go and reach for a bottle or let's mm-hmm. go and reach for, for a drug mm-hmm. and let's, get, let's suppress those. Whereas actually, no, I'm sat here talking about it and, and that sort of becomes a new substance or a new drug, mm-hmm. actually continuing to be vulnerable with people releases that hurt and it doesn't have that much control 
over you as it as it did. There's this really cool couple that was uh, speaking. When I was like 2017, and one of the things that always stuck out with me is they they explain vulnerability as uh, increased losses equals increased gains. And so, um, when you look at like, let's say poker. Like, just because a lot of people know what poker is, and so you, you've got your cards. Well, the more you put into the pot, is the more you know you could double up on that amount and get back double or triple or whatever, whatever it is that you're doesn't matter what kind of poker game, but you could potentially get you know that is that same amount back or get whatever the, the pot is when it comes to, let's say, six people put in the same amount that you did. You just got five times more than what you put in. And so they, they, they talk about this relationship with God um, as it being vulnerable. And the same thing with people, if you have to be vulnerable, and that is increased gains equals increased losses, or increased losses equals increased gains. Like just putting yourself in that position where you're trusting in God um, and having that boldness and that that courageousness and or courage and just like stepping out and uh, stepping out and being that person who's going to be like, do you know what? I'm going to say what's on my mind at all times, like with anybody, like, um, with and that's hmm? with wisdom. Yeah, with, with <laughs> exactly. It's not like you lose your head. Like you don't. Yeah. Like I, I there. It's really good to have. Um, what would you call it? Res- boundaries. Boundaries, yes. They're really great to have boundaries. <laughs> boundaries are great. Highly recommend. <laughs> 10 out of 10. <laughs> like, yes. I think boundaries are necessary with that. Like any type of conversation when it comes to Holy Spirit, healing, or talking to somebody about bringing them to Christ, or um, in all shapes and sizes of relationships from friendships to, you know, what you're, what you're dealing with. And so, 100%. Yes, vulnerability is with boundaries. It's yeah. really key. Yeah. So to wrap up, what are your hopes for the year? That I'm able to continue to, to walk out in that freedom, uh, be vulnerable with putting in those boundaries, but also to actually to get a better sort of grips of what it means to be a Christian in the valleys mm-hmm. you know it's such a it's such a community filled place mm-hmm. and it's, it'd just be great that it would be amazing if we can get at least it'd be awesome to get everybody in the valleys in, in church but if we can get one person from every single street in this valleys mm-hmm. in a church mm-hmm. I, that'd, that'd be amazing to see so that's my sort of hope yeah. for this cool. next one year very Not that I'm going to accomplish that because I can't, but... Wow. <laughs> so, is there anything that we didn't ask or that we didn't talk about that you want to say? Uh, I think not. I think we've got okay. everything. Okay. Um, so, we always do a Lost in Translation segment at the end of each episode uh, because Isaac and I, I think... We didn't expect coming to another English-speaking country to be quite so culturally different. So we put...
put our feet in our mouths quite often, <laughs> and so we talk about it on the on the podcast. So, yes. Isaac, do you do you have anything from this week? So, like, I have about five things. Okay. Talking, talking with John this morning, I only remember one of them. As, as yeah, right. So. We, we both got to start writing. But this it's down. it's like we're in the middle of working, so we've been doing you know we're doing stuff for a couple of hours, and it's just like little things that pop in in, in the conversation, and then just completely forget about it. So it's like, I, I just keep on forgetting that, that rubbish is rubbish and trash is not rubbish. And so like one of those things of, that's something that I never would have thought about calling trash rubbish and it, and it flip-flopping. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the lost in translation is that people, don't, people wouldn't call trash trash. They call it rubbish. And so like when I was talking about cleaning up the trash John was like and then when I was talking about sockets so sockets are spanners and so huh? yeah so sockets is what John said like an electrical socket no so do you know the the sockets for like half inch drives you know 14 millimeter 15 millimeter sockets tools? for ratchets yeah no <laughs> no okay so uh, but I'll take your word for it don't worry about it <laughs> So basically, we call, I don't even know what you would call it, but a ratchet is, we have a three-quarters ratchet. That's, uh, a, that's, a, that's a ratchet and socket set. Right. Yeah. So you would still call it ratchet and socket yeah. set. The spanner is... The wrenches. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so a wrench so he is was a calling, spanner? Yeah, yeah. So a wrench so, is called a spanner. So, um, we have we also have a ratchet wrench where the... Where the 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 gear inside the ratchet, the yeah. closed end, actually moves, and yeah. so you can operate it yeah. like a, a ratchet, and it's mind blowing. But um, so so we yeah. we got ratchet spanners, really? Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. So you just call them ratchet spanners, yeah? That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it does make sense. Uh, doesn't it? Ten mil- but and the real cool thing is the one thing that hasn't changed for everybody who's listening: ten millimeter sockets get lost here as well. That's <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's a, a that's a mechanic joke. So that's the only the only thing that you remember from this morning. At the moment, yes. Yeah. What about you? So. It's not so much a lost in translation, but I will say that last night um, we had a women's Bible study meeting, and we played Heads Up, which is an American game. It's a Heads Up. It's the app that you like. It says it brings up a word, and like your team has to give you cues, and you have to guess it, which is an American game. And uh, guess who had the edge? Because our category that we chose was animals and things like, let me remember, manatee. Manatee, yeah. Everybody was like, had no idea what a manatee was. Really? Um, oh, because a, they probably name it something else. A prairie dog. What's a a bobcat. What's another? Why bobcat? Why wouldn't they? I know. But like a bunch of animals that I suppose are like only in North America, maybe. Oh, Yeah. Like, I guess bobcats are just North American. There was a couple of others. But I was surprised at a prairie dog. It's a prairie dog. See? (laughs) Do you know what a manatee is? No. Manatees are, like, one of my favorite animals. Are they a wild animal, or can you actually have them in the house? No. They're wild. They're in the water. So they're a 
a water creature. They're like they're bigger than seals. So, but they're like these. They're we, they're called. Their nickname is sea cow. Because they're like massive. They're huge. But they're very gentle. I think of them gentle as like the Chinese. elephants of the sea. So would they be like a hippopotamus? No. no. They don't have legs. They have flippers. Oh. So, so they're mammals, but they're permanent sea creatures. Don't, yeah. They don't, they don't, they, they may, I don't know that they even no. flop onto they ice. Don't. To, <laughs> they to They wouldn't someday. be in ice. They're warm water creatures. We have lots of them in Florida. Mm. Lots of them. Do they sunbathe at all? No. For any reason? They stay no. in the water. So they just stay. They'll stick their little nosy up, mm. and you see their little whiskers, but out of the water. But mm. that's it. I've swam with manatees. It's like a thing it's in really Florida. Cool. It's very normal. And I was like, you don't know what a manatee is? <laughs> like, very sad. So anyway, I was excited. Because most of the games, like when you've done game nights here, they're like UK-based. Like, film references and stuff and TV references are typically UK. Remember that game night we had at Simon and Lucy's that you organized? Yes. <laughs> okay. I do. And, like, all of the references, I was like, I, I don't know what any of these things are. And I felt yeah. at a real disadvantage. So this is the first time that I have felt like, oh, yes. You got an advantage. Yeah. American citizenship is coming in handy. So It is amazing that the games are oriented, like, the amazing, the difference. I never thought about that, but games. we're so America focused. Like yeah. everything, we think that we are the center of the world. Yeah, like it just is. We just do. I think all of our games are oriented around just our culture. Yeah, no one else's. But it was a very exciting moment for me, and um, hopefully a learning opportunity for anyone listening now <laughs> on what a manatee is and how great they so are. I thought manatees were in cold water as well in the sea. I don't. I guess I was wrong. I mean, they're in the water when it gets cold, but I think they're like. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, like, all that fat, they were like designed for the Arctic, you know? Like, I act like they would like leave the water when it gets too cold or something. They're just like out, <laughs> gonna go hibernate for the winter. At base, yeah. I, I know that manatees they live in the water and they got flippers. That's I it. don't, but That's they like they out. wouldn't be up north, mm. right? I don't know. I like, just, don't they I only just, exist in Florida? Assumed, I just naturally assumed that they were. I love aquatic manatees. everywhere, not just aquatic. Florida. I don't think they're in the north. Mm. I don't know. Let the researchers get yeah. back to our viewers. Yeah. I'm sure someone will. So did you win contact your us game? and tell us? No. We, well, didn't. we didn't really keep score, so mm. whatever. So, so you won? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. I won. I won. I won. All right. Well, this was fun. Great yes. to hear more about Thank your you story. So much, Thank ben. you for sharing and being so vulnerable. Yes. I feel like that's the catchphrase of this episode is yes. vulnerability, um, as my friend, my imaginary friend, Brene Brown, teaches us <laughs> all about. Um, yeah, we'll be back next week for another episode, probably with the other new guy, <laughs> yes. which will be really fun. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.